Welcome to our occasional series of podcasts produced in a completely amateur and ham-fisted manner in our gallery with willing and sometimes not so willing subjects. On February 11, the Lost Ones Contemporary Art Gallery hosted the first talk for the year with three artists as part of their group show Whisper. Sean Tan, Nick Dryden and Harley Manifold spoke at length about the tension in their works, the solitary nature of painting and the reality of having to present their works in public. Mediated by gallery director Stephen Piggott, the talk was attended by more than 60 people who contributed their questions and thoughts to our panel. first event of the year, our first exhibition, and we're pretty excited to be here this afternoon. Thanks for all braving the weather and the, and the rockabilly. Tonight, this afternoon, we have the artists, we have Harley Manifold, Sean Tan and Nick Dryden here today to talk about this exhibition. Uh, we'll just have a quick in, informal chat for a few minutes, and then a few minutes more, and then we'll open up for some questions. So um, grab a drink, grab a seat, and thanks very much for coming. Um, first of all, the exhibition is mainly on the theme of, of, of the solitary figure of, of solitude. Um, this is approached, I suppose, in different ways with each of your, each of your um, approaches. But um, perhaps if we get each of you just to talk a little bit about the theme in, in your work in the exhibition and how you arrived at certain... certain um, aspects of your art. Nick, for instance, your work is mainly centred on the family farm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I grew up on a farm um, 70 kilometres northwest of Ballarat. Yeah. And, um, yeah, the, the solitary figure is probably not, like, a main um, focus of mine. Uh, it's just something that sort of occurs in the work because um, I do a lot of different... I do pure landscape and still life and a lot of different sort of styles of painting. Um, so, yeah, I didn't even really notice it too much until this exhibition was being organised. So, um, if, I, uh, if I had to talk about why the choice of putting single figures in landscapes... Um, probably has something to do with what Sean was talking about in the radio interview that him and Harley did which was that when you do this kind of work you spend so much time by yourself in your studio working on it that it kind of, I guess that you get used to your own company and it translates over to everyday life so if I am out, out and about looking for inspiration um, I'll often do that by myself, go and walk alone or travel alone. So I suppose solitude becomes a thing for most artists because that's your experience yeah. in your practice. Yeah, it takes up a large part of your life, so yeah. it just becomes sort of routine, I guess. Do, do you find that, Harley, that's being alone in the studio that sort of makes the theme work itself out? Uh, yeah, absolutely. And I think with a lot of my work, um, mine's more of a, a conscious move towards a solitary figure in the landscape than Nick's possibly has been. And it's generally I project myself into the landscape. Like growing up on a farm as well, like Nick, you know, I'd spend a lot of the time out on the farm and you'd watch your dad out by himself, you know, making fences, chasing sheep or, you know, whatever... It, 
wherever it was, and you sort of see this sort of... I never saw it as lonely or isolated. It was just this single figure out in the landscape uh, working, and it was just doing their thing and forging their own sort of existence. So for me, the, the single figure in the landscape's not necessarily a lonely thing. It's just a... No, the, there's a sense of the, the pleasure of being alone and with your own thoughts and your own um, imagination as you... As you there's a, there's a sort of pleasure in, in, in being, um, in brooding, I suppose, to a certain extent. And do you find that's creatively helpful? Oh, absolutely. And it's, you know, it's space to think. Like, I, I remember uh, the poet who wrote Bright Star. What, anyone got that name? Uh, Keats. Keats, yeah. Keats. Probably just, got that wrong. Yeah, no, <laughs> absolutely. Keats would just walk for hours alone and just in his head he would make up all of these poems and it's the same thing you know you'd be out walking through the city or the landscape and these creative thoughts come to you and you know that's where the title kind of came from whisper mm. you know the landscape whispers to you and it that, just that's where that sort of narrative starts to insinuate on your thoughts and it builds from there um sean your works come from solitary walks all around the world. Do you have a similar sort of whispering yes. effect? Yeah, well, I guess it's a form of meditation. So, And painting is definitely meditation because you're quieting, quietening your mind um, over quite a long period um, and sometimes in front of a subject which you normally wouldn't look at for very long because most of the things we look at in our day-to-day life we do so just for the purpose of recognition and drawing um, some meaningful analysis or is this useful, is this valuable, um, is this important, uh, is this annoying, um, do I need to respond, do I need to act or think about it. And with a lot of these little paintings, um, I, I start off by picking a very random subject and and usually it's something that I notice I'm looking at for more than the usual eight seconds or so that you look at a thing for like um I'll be looking at a car park or a laneway for a little bit longer and then I I kind of catch myself doing that and I think why am I attracted to that Uh, and then I'll take a few photos of it and I'll look at it later in my studio I think do I still find it interesting And, and I might go back to the place again and a lot of my paintings are places I visited either for an extended period on a long walk or, um, or that I, I see every day. So same with Harley, because we worked together in the same studio for a couple of years mm-hmm. and uh, in Brunswick. And so um, actually we're sort of painting some of the same landscapes, mm. um, yeah. which is funny, That's which we didn't realise yeah. we were doing that. <laughs> and uh, it's just because we're seeing it every day. And as an artist, you learn to pay attention to things rather than to look for exotic things, which is what we're normally taught to do. Oh, special things are picture far away. Sunsets. Yeah, picturesque. The idea, picturesque is everywhere, you know, so... Um, but I don't even notice it myself until I stop and paint, so my little paintings are start as an exercise just to force myself to stop, you know, and stop thinking too hard, just paint something. These are quite sort of transitional scenes. They're, they're like... Yeah, short stories or film stills in many ways. That, that yeah, they've got narrative parts mm-hmm. too. Yeah, there's, which... there's an element that there's something happening or about to happen or perhaps just fail to happen in many of them. Yeah, that's true. Um, um, 
or nothing happening at all, which is, is interesting too. Mm. Um, and there's little figures, of course, and that's what we all have in common, is we have this tendency to want to put a figure in the landscape. And, and that's a tricky thing to do because it can ruin the the meditative focus on the landscape actually sometimes because as soon as you see a figure in a landscape the most interesting thing to another human being is another human being okay so that's and that's the thing also that we know visually very well like our understanding of face body language is so precise um it can be painful when you paint it because you've got to be so exacting yeah when you put it into a painting, suddenly it's like a gravitational black hole. So everyone looks at the figure. So um, mm-hmm. trying to then get it to go back to the landscape again and, and, and think about that relationship can be a tricky balance. But I think we've all done that. We're all kind of working with that tension of like, yeah, look at the person, but look at the landscape and look at the person, look at the landscape and then try and reconcile the two things. Mm. It sort of imposes a narrative on a, on a piece once you put a figure in there. It does, yeah. That you then have to sort of back away from is, do you think that strengthens the work when you do that, if you've got this sort of well, tension? Going? I think it depends, because it, I, I get a lot of um, people divided on my work with the figure in the box. But, you know, a lot of people say, because that figure is in there, I can't walk in. But then other people look at it and go, oh, this is great, you know. I totally understand it. I feel this, I love this, you know. So we have to hear the story of how Mr Boxy came about. Mm. <laughs> um, short version? Short version. Short version. Um, uh, basically, I was in Bali, hurt myself surfing, and I had to uh, spend the remainder of my time out of the water. So I started going around doing touristy things, and I noticed a lot of the tourists would walk into the room with you know, their camera phone or their video camera, and they'd, they'd walk in, take a few photos, and without putting the camera down, they walk out of the room with it still in front of them. And it's like, that's a bit strange. And, you know, if you watch people do this for three weeks, you get a little bit frustrated because no one's, you know, really experiencing the space. They're just, you know, they're making an Instagram story or a Facebook post. And it's just... And I came back to Melbourne and I've been brewing about it. And I remembered, you know, people at 12 Apostles would do the same thing. You know, remember this one girl, she came on with a brand new iPhone when they'd just come out and she had a Corona and she went up to the sunset, took a drink, turned around, walked off, didn't even look at the sunset. I was just like, what? So I started painting everyone in these cardboard boxes as it just became this idea of a metaphor to isolate yourself from the landscape and everything around you. And just, you know, there's these little glows emanating from a few of them pinging their way along the landscape. And I showed one of my friends, the first person who came to look at them, and she's like, oh, I love them. They make me so happy. I'm like, yeah. Uh, she's like, I love them. I'm like, oh, fantastic. That's great. Like, I didn't know how it would go down. Like, a person in a carpal box is a fairly unusual thing to paint. And then she said, oh, it makes me so happy. I'm like, what? You know, this is ang- this is me angry. I'm like, you know, take this society, you bunch of idiots. You know, you're running around with a box on your head. She goes, no, because it reminds me of when I was a little kid and I used to play in a cardboard box and it made me so happy. <laughs> so I spent the night stewing about it and by the next morning I was like, oh, it's good. You know, it's not me trying to tell everyone what to do and that's how it sort of evolved and it's evolved from there and it's... 
it's had a lot of very personal meanings for me put onto it, and some of them come through the, the names of the paintings. You know, if you look at them, some of them are a little bit confusing, but to me they're quite personal. So, yeah. Well, you see, the names seem to come from news events and, and internet news headlines or... Yeah, well, that, yeah, the other thing is, you know, the, a lot of the self-portrait series, that it goes back to this, you know, engagement we have with ourselves and cutting ourselves off from the environment. And, the, you know, there's a few news titles in some of the paintings, and that's really... And they're the paintings that they're all these selfies, like this large one of me staring at myself in the mirror. Like, it's a, it's a bizarre thing to do, you know, to spend so much time focused inwards when there's so much like going on outside of our worlds. But there's, there's a paradox in that, that in the same way that Mr. Boxy is kind of cut off from the world, some, you, you see it originally as a, as a kind of critical thing, mm. as, a, as, a, as a negative, a lot of people have interpreted him as kind of a friendly little fellow. Yeah. He's, he's reminds you of a childhood. So yeah. the first interpretation you can be cut off in, in, in a good way or in a kind of comforting personal way and in your selfies, you're sort of isolated there in the <coughs> top floor of the Sofitel. Yes. But you're yeah. also connected to the wider world because there you are with your Instagram and your Facebook and you're posting everything all at once. So there's kind of both things happening at once. Yeah, well, I think it's a, that's the whole... This era is very much we're connected but we're also disconnected and that the box does that a lot. But if, I think if you look at the other's work, you know, there's this... that duality of being connected as a viewer versus, you know, the artist. You know, we connect with these spaces quite personally. Obviously, that's why we spend so much time painting them. And then you have viewers that really connect with them, some are just, oh, yeah, that's nice. So it's interesting how we all, you know, resonate with these different whispers that come through. I think that's where your work seems most different, Nick, is that you've got the sort of almost literal heartland in your work where you're, you grew up at your family farm and the other pieces for Harley and, and Sean are more uh, transitory. Yeah, it's... Um, I, think, I think that actually comes from, like, um, childhood, like, like drawing on memories from childhood. That's where I think I originally started to do it. And, like, I know that um, Harley grew up in this big bluestone homestead and it's like this big huge interior spaces inside and I can actually see it in his work so hmm. I think it's like with some artists it's more subtle but I think there's a lot of um, early childhood memories that artists draw on um, obviously in mine it's more literal but then Sean grew up in the suburbs of Perth was it? Mm-hmm. Yeah so I mean, I can say in a lot of his, that suburban sort of feel. Um, so it's sort of like coming back to it and playing around with it. You've, there's a certain sense of wistfulness about yours too, sort of dreamlike. Yeah, well, Something in the, in, the, in the softness of the light or the, the, the muted tones. It, it's an idealised world, though. It's not literal. No, yeah, it's, not, it's not literal. It's all... Um, so I take bits and pieces from here and there and I try and... I always focus on the aesthetics of it and try and get a, f- a general feel of that place, what the place that inspired me. 
to do the parting originally. The, the, the one that stands out as most different is your gap year photo. <laughs> that's you staring back. Yeah, it's a self-portrait, that one. It's a self-portrait. That, that seems to come from a different place to the rest of it. Um, yeah, compared to the other works. Compared to the other works. Yeah, well, that's, that's an earlier work. Yeah. Um, did that a few years ago. So it's a different colour palette. Um, the ones, like, I've sort of restricted my palette a bit in the last year or so. Um, I don't look. I think it's just... I just like the... Working with those hard shadows in that one is a bit more distracting, I felt. Yeah. So I wanted to sort of just soften it up a bit and make, it, make the paintings a bit softer. Well, there's, there's a distinct lack of anguish in, in all of these works that you think of the solitary figure is all about the modernist scene being alienated and distracted and I think this, you get quite the opposite feeling in all of these pieces that there's something being welcomed and being feeling part of the, the world even as you're just passing swiftly through it. Is, is that what you mean Sean when you talk about that keen sense of observation even in the transitory moments and those passing? Maybe but it's also um, what attracts you to a subject isn't harmony, it's, it's discord um, so yeah, as, as Nick said, the suburb, you know, your childhood landscape really affects you. Um, and so, like, even with this painting over here, it's um, those trapezoid rooftops, they just keep coming back again and again because that's what that's the landscape of Hillary's in the coastal suburb of um, Perth where I grew up. And um, it, it influences me to the extent that I, I really kind of love the place and hate the place. <laughs> You know, it's like so vulgar in many respects, but it's also beautiful. And um, nature is constantly woven into the urban space in the form of gardens and crows and, um, you know, some feral animals. And, and then the ocean's not very far away. So um, the sense of being near very open space, but then also in domestic cluttered spaces. So I like painting interiors and underground car parks and things like that, as well as big open fields. And, um, yeah, it's, it's just that, that, that tension. Um, I mean, there's also a basic tension about painting that it's very personal, it's very solitary, uh, but you also exhibit it in an environment like this, so that's kind of weird. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it'd be, it's a way of, of sharing an idea without us having to talk. Um, and I think that's something that's in temperamentally important for an artist. Because I was just thinking, um, as we're talking, um, uh, you know, about solitary figures in the landscape, um, you don't see that in musical theatre so much. You don't, there's not so many shows, like, that are about a solitary figure on the stage just being very quiet. It's, it's often about um, a chorus line of dancing and so on. That's because the nature of the art form is that it's a collaborative effort amongst a lot of people, so it's very conversational and social. But painting's funny. Painting's funny that way. A lot of my little paintings were never meant to be exhibited. I only started exhibiting them recently, which is why the dates on them are quite old. Um, I just would paint them and put them in a shoebox because I just did them for myself. Um, They were like, I guess you'd call it almost practice pieces, but they're a bit more than that. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but I want to paint everything. Yeah. Life is, like, painfully short, and um, I want to paint that, I want to paint that, I want to yeah. paint all you people. <laughs> um, can't do it. So I, I just started 
painting on, and I was so frustrated and then you know my wife and I had a child and it's like well I've got even less time to paint what am I going to do so I just started painting on these little 15 by um, 20 centimeter panels which is something I did as a teenager um, inspired by the Heidelberg artists and mm. and that sort of satisfies my need to you know think about different scenes and also throw stuff away that I don't I don't like so you know you, you compress the scene quite a lot so there's a lot of intimacy in some of them lot of kind of truth. Yeah, truth is the main thing. The honesty of, yeah. of, the, of the vision. Yeah, trying to be as honest as possible um, because art is like, it's a fiction. Uh, mm. The act of doing a painting is a, it's kind of a nonsense. Um, why paint something when you can go and look at it, you know? Why or paint take a photo. Yeah, take yeah. A photo. <laughs> take a photo of it. So it's, it's trying to find, you know, what's honest about this action and why do we do it? You're always thinking about it when I you're painting. I think it also connects you with the place. Like, originally, Ballarat has never been a place I've felt emotionally connected to, but both uh, Nick and I did a little bit of plain air painting, I mean, two months ago, and quite a few of the paintings on the other side of this wall are just all Ballarat. And with doing that, it just... Like it's like getting to know your neighbour or something like that. Like you really start to feel a sense of the place, and then suddenly it starts talking to you. Because for me, Ballarat was always a transitory place. Like I come visit friends who are at uni here, and we have a party, and then I go, or I drive through to go to Melbourne. But it was never a place that I resonated with. And I think the longer you spend it somewhere, the more you get to know it, which is obvious. But then you start feeling or seeing something else with it that maybe, like you said, the longer you spend looking at something, then you go, aha, what is this? You know, there's something more here. What is it? You have to be tuned into that whisper. Mm. The, um, so, Sean, you mentioned somewhere um, that every place is the same place. Mm-hmm. Um, can you explain a little about what you mean by that? Um... <laughs> Well, for a start, it's complete nonsense. Because <laughs> obviously every place is not the same place. But... Yeah, but then again, it, that was the title of my last show, Every Place is the Same Place, um, which I opened by saying, OK, obviously that's not true, so that's why it's an interesting statement. Um, but it is true. Aha, uh-huh, but it is true. Because um, every place exists in your mind. Like everything that you're seeing right now, uh, it's it's in your mind. That's how you're seeing it. So what you carry around in your head is a library of places that you can remember. And not, sometimes a place only exists to the extent that you can remember it, or more importantly, you have a feeling about it. And um, so the statement of every place is the same place is just... It's wherever your feet happen to be. That's the place. You really can't... I mean, obviously, with um, digital things and the way the media scape we sort of astral travel a little bit but um, at the end of the day you're, you're always in one spot physically, that's where your eyeballs are where your brain is and um, all of these paintings are made in a particular location and when you compress everything into this rectangle why are paintings always rectangles I don't know but it just seems to be a way of bringing all these experiences into some voice that we can share and, uh, and understand uh, that's quite simple and it, it unifies the experience. So all, all paintings are the same painting, you could say, and 
all experiences are the God, same experience. It's kind of funny when you st stand back and look at the act of painting. Yeah, that's true. All these yeah. people doing pictures on rectangles using on coloured land, mud. Landscape. What's that about? Yeah. <laughs> that one's a square, isn't it? <laughs> oh, there we go. That's <laughs> it, does, it doesn't often help to analyse things too carefully. Maybe yeah, things no, that's true. Perhaps, and I'm thinking the um, theatrical equivalent perhaps would be a Beckett play. That's where, true. Where mm. There's a solitary figure, but um, perhaps a little less is worked out in those. Yes. Um, I would invite anyone with a question now, if, for any of the artists, if they would like to uh, speak up. Any questions at all? We're knocked over in the rush. Oh, no, I think there's some questions in there. There's a question. <laughs> um, do you find that the more that you, you talked before about spending um, time in place and it meaning more to you, do you find that uh, once you're looking closely at it enough to be able to paint it, that um, you feel the same way? Or That you're dissecting it and then putting it back together. What do you mean, feel the same way? Uh, for example, um, you come across something and you think, oh, this is fantastic, it's wonderful, it's perfect. And then, but you, when you really look at it, you start seeing things that are not quite right or they're, mm. they're imperfect. And then by the time that you are looking in that much detail, I, when you dissect that, um, do you end up feeling the same way that you felt before? Or? Yeah, it's, I don't know what you mean, I think. It's one of the challenges is trying to get that initial feeling mm -hmm. that you had. And it, I, I rarely do it myself. The, I don't know. the painting changes in the process of mixing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, especially with ta like taking bits out, because you can always improve on, like, the natural world, you can always change stuff around and for composition, I suppose. Mm. Move but, the dog uh, yeah, move, move a tree here or take a tree out. It's just, I guess you just keep playing around with it until you you think it's finished and you're happy with it to some extent. Yeah, I think Sean and I have spoken about this, like our, our smaller works. You know, there's something about the immediacy and the intimacy of when you're doing them. You can execute them fairly quickly, whereas when you do the large works, you know, there's a, a laborious time that you have to cover space and do more layers. But with a small work, you know, it retains some of that immediacy and the, that first feeling that you have when you look at it. So, yeah. Yeah, I think that's a question that goes both ways, you know. It's, um, as Nick was saying, it's, it's you often have an instant reaction to a thing and you know it's good because you don't understand why. And so painting is a process of exploring that. And in the process, sometimes that, um, you know, the looking fans the flames and so you get more and more excited about it. And other times um, it, you just lose the plot and you start to... Um, I always say it's like CPR on a painting, you know, you're doing all the different things to kind of get that feeling back, but it's dying. And um, there's actually, I feel with a painting, there's a, there's a certain half-life you've got to work on it that you shouldn't spend, same with a novel or anything else, don't spend too much time on it. 
these people say, oh, I've been working on my novel for 10 years. It's like, time to stop, you know? <laughs> um, it's really like... Uh, because you, the more you work on a picture too, you can actually... you also got to be with your audience to some extent. And your audience is not going to be looking at a painting for the duration that you are. They're not going to see all the subtleties that are so impressive for yourself. Um, and so you constantly have to keep standing back and, and thinking, OK, what is this kind of saying at a gut level? Especially when you start using clever devices and compositional things and so on, all the tools that are available to an artist, you can forget that... Um, at the end of the day, other people looking at it aren't necessarily artists. So it's got to be trying to stick to the initial feeling or try and check that it's still got that. Um, yep. But it goes both ways. Um, do you think these small paintings are perhaps more about painting rather than the actual feel of throwing paint on the little canvas and the big ones that are all almost about composition and the feeling and the work, or do you think that's the wrong premise? Maybe, I'm not sure. Um, what do you think, Ollie? Um, well, yes and no. I, I guess for me, I always try with the bigger paintings, um, especially if you look at this um, big self-portrait up here. If you look at the, the roof above my bold, shining dome, you can see all, all of these different sort of layers of paint, you know, there's grey greens and there's, you know, the orange and then there's the yellow and you really try and retain some of that uh, immediacy of paint on a larger level and that's one of the reasons I like painting large flat surfaces is that within a flat surface you can put all this texture of the same ish colour of paints in the same tones and then have it, you know, do a lot more than just be flat. Like the blue in the sky, there's about three or four different blues in that sky behind my head. And to paint that was quite quick. And to like really get the big brushes out and you really push it in. The same as when you're working on a small work, you try and, you know, just capture that feeling, especially if you're doing it outside at a certain time of day. You, the light's just, you're always just rushing to capture it. And that's, I guess, the same with the feeling. But I don't know, balancing that out is tough. That's so, so tough. Do you work from photographs much, or is it often uh, in, the, in so situ? I think we all, every now and then, work, unfortunately, but I think the best paintings sometimes come from being out there. I don't, I don't think there's anything unfortunate about it. I think it's perfectly fine. In fact, yeah. I remember photography was originally spearheaded by artists who wanted a way to sketch that didn't involve sitting out in the freezing cold <laughs> and getting yeah. bitten by bugs. So um, and we've all done that. Yeah. Um, I, the problem with a photograph is that there's no... Unless you're a really great photographer, there's very little um, emotional information in a photograph, but it's got a lot of good physical information. So I always... Um, even if I'm sketching or... I mean, there's a few cases where I don't use a photograph, but I often have photographs to remind me of how I felt about a thing. It's like when you look at a family photo album. You don't look at it to look at the shape of people's faces. You look at it to trigger a memory. So if, you, if it's a, um, a sound or a, a picture or anything that can help to trigger the memory, to help you paint, then it's useful. So I've got no problem with photographs but one interesting thing I've never been able to do a good picture of a photograph of a thing that I haven't actually seen you know mm -hmm. like if I find a 
um, a photograph and I think that's a great picture and it'd be nice to try and paint that to see how it works. I just can't get any feeling in it for some reason. I have to have actually been to the place to be able to make decisions about what kind of blue that is and and when it's finished, you know, am I there yet and that sort of thing. So it's it's just... Um, yeah, I think you, lose, you do lose some things in photographs, mm. like subtleties in colour and um, form as well. Some of the or just the, the feeling. It's just a, it's like a second hand. And that's why I've painted so many people with these iPad things, is it's, you know, you're sticking a barrier between yourself and what's there to feel like it's... You're changing the way you read the narrative of the landscape in front of you. So. It's really actually quite interesting to me whenever I see technology in a painting because you don't see it nearly enough. Um, and I've often wanted to do paintings of my laptop and things like that just because I'm looking at it often, mm. but I edit it out of my ex artistic experience. But that's nonsense because it's there. It's, a, it's always there. It's, you know, phones and iPads, it's really great to see paintings of technology that is going to date so in 10 years time that'll look quite fascinating you know like a big chunky 80s phone <laughs> I actually um, make telephone calls on that just so you know <laughs> but yeah and it's, it's kind of an interesting exercise to paint modern technology in a digital era using old fashioned techniques so I think the other thing that we all have in common is we're quite traditional mm. um, for want of a better word in our techniques and I think our interest in painting is both modern and postmodern and cinema and all this sort of image making all the way back to um, what well cave art I guess but you know like uh, a lot of figurative art that's that's not so um, looked at these days like old master paintings and so on still there's a lot you can learn from that oh, yeah. and um, I think we're all trying to pick up some of those those elements as well as the modern ones. I can just tell me if you, the three of you individually, now change themes, ideas, is something tricky to go into different ideas and not think about individual paintings? Is it some experience that you're having that, oh, I'm going to go with that idea now? And you find that happens every couple of years or, or six months or ten years or you stick with the same idea? Does anyone want to go first? Uh, for me, I've, I'm pretty happy just to stay with what I'm doing at the moment. I think I would get years and years of inspiration from just that small amount of landscape out there. So I think, yeah. I guess um, for me, uh, it's not so planned or anything. I just start with... Partly I do lots of little different paintings like fishing for something that clicks on a, on a secondary level where I want to go back and do it again. Um, but generally I'll do one painting and I'll, I'll just really like it for some reason or it speaks to me and it could be a story as well and I'll just keep revisiting it. And then I'll think, I want to do another painting a bit like that and so I do another one and, and I might as well do another one and then before you know it there's a series and I guess that's how most artists work. Um, I don't know if anyone plans to do a series. I'm going to do a series about cows. Um, I just, it's usually just out doing something. And uh, like this painting here, the big one, is um, from a series of paintings of um, wild birds that live in cities and suburbs. And, um, and part of the idea for that was that it was a group show and 
no one could think of a title and then somebody came up with a quote from a poem which was Go Said the Bird and I thought that's such a weird title, I like it. Um, and everybody was doing quite abstract work that was very high level interpretation of that poem. I thought I'm just going to do paintings about birds. And so I, I did one and it was a sparrow, a giant sparrow sitting on a city. And then I, I just started doing more and more and I just really liked it. And I kept doing it until I, I thought, okay, I'm a bit tired of painting birds now. I'll do something else. It's the best way to work, I find, just not entirely consciously. Mm. Um, I, yeah, I find my work is um, directly a, a reflection of where I'm at or what's happening to me at, at that certain point of life, like the uh, boxy that was um, post-Bali. These self-portraits were... Um, that happened because I broke my ankle uh, in Africa and I came back and I wasn't able to get out and do plane hairs and I couldn't carry all my gear out and I couldn't drive a car. So the only thing that I had regular access to was bathrooms of any difference. <laughs> and uh, for me, the bathroom's always been a, you know, sort of like, Growing up, it was the only room in the house that had a lock on it. So, you know, it was the only place in the house where I could go have solitary time and not be questioned why I was there. Um, I've just moved down to Janjak on the coast. And, yeah, I think my painting's changing again. So I'm not really, not really ready to show what I've been working on. But, yeah, something very interesting is happening. Did you have another injury? No, no injury. Precipitated. Yeah, you can say it. Yeah. No, I think I'm really happy. Or, or deliberately go for the cliff edge. Yeah, if you're feeling an artistic block. I mean, <laughs> painting out in bush around there, you just get eaten by mosquitoes. Yes, <sighs> that is a problem with plain air painting. Yeah. Bugs. Floors. They find you out if you sit in one place for more than half an hour. I they find, they sniff you it's out. About five minutes, <laughs> they're on top of me. And they love me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens. Instead of Mr. Boxy, Mr. Mosquito Net. Yeah, Mr. Oh, that's a good <laughs> idea. Or maybe I should wear the box and just cut a slit in there. Yeah. <laughs> you can have little like... shells for your paints inside yeah, and there. That's, great. <laughs> that's the new Ned Kelly. That's the new yeah. Well, yeah. That's, yeah. Mm, that's funny you should say that. That's, yeah. Anyway. Mm. Yes. Um, yeah, see. So all painted on near sol solitude, but there's a big difference in the types of landscapes you painted. Like, for example, if you painted a lot of rural areas, I'm just sort of interested, how does the solitary experience differ from, say, an urban context to a rural context? Is there something, say, aspirational in urban areas? Uh, Sean, you were saying that you would put a figure in there. Do you desire for, like, solitary um, spaces in urban areas? So I'm just sort of curious on what you guys think about the solitary experience in these different contexts? Uh, I don't know, it's hard to say, like, someone else's perspective, but I wouldn't imagine there's much difference, really, between, they're both, I prefer, like, to be out in the country. I find it more, like, relaxing and comfortable, but um, other people might find urban environments have the same feeling, so yeah. Yeah. Um, 
Hmm. Yeah, I think I think it's probably not a huge difference. Um, I feel like you know when you think of an artist like Edward Hopper, uh, he was almost one of the first painters I think to take because he was painting at a time when big cities were starting to appear. They hadn't really been around that much. The big sort of modern cities are industrialised, and um, his figures all seem so lonely. It's like a most desolate space. So he was playing with the irony that in in the places of maximum density, you get the greatest loneliness. Um, and I think we forget too that I like to also look at the world from a point of view of the place because uh, we're very anth anthropocentric as a species, like we're very obsessed with being human. But places continue existing even when no one's looking at them and that fascinates me. I've always been intrigued by that ever since I was a kid, that the place is still around when nobody's there and mm -hmm. most of the time, um, as you know from security cameras and so on, it's, there's nobody in the landscape, it's just these empty spaces that are stages or set um, waiting for the players to come and they're not even really registered by the players. We're, we're in a city especially if you want to make something invisible, don't don't hide it. Just put it in plain sight in a city. That'll make it invisible. Because mm. so many other things that people are looking at. Um, so that's that's, and I think the country is the same too. So it's hard to get people to look at things. Um, and I think, uh, I think it's definitely changed. Like, it probably used to be a lot different out in rural areas as well. But I think it's it's probably similar. Yeah. But it's impossible to get away from the human perspective because wherever you go, there you are. Even when you're not there, you're still thinking yourself there. Yes, mm. that's right. Yeah, it's like a, it's like, it's almost I don't know if worship is the right word, but you kind of paying respect to whatever that moment is or that feeling is when you see that place, whether it be urban or um, rural. Yeah, you know, yeah. there's they all speak to us, and that's. There's just something clicks when you walk past them that makes you like, what is that? And, you know, and then you... Perhaps it's just the respect of observing something clearly. Yeah. And just putting it in your mind and then putting it in your art. Yes. Mm. It just crystallises it as a kind of gesture of respect towards the whatever you're saying. Oh, yes, definitely some mm. kind of worship, mm. yeah. It's like a s secular worship, at least. Yes, mm. yeah. Um, Cult of painters. Yeah, without fetishising it, but yeah. sort of uh, acknowledging. I mean, I'm a, I'm a, I'm an atheist, and um, mm. I uh, was almost going to be a scientist. Um, that was my other career choice when I was a teenager. Mm. Um, so I'm looking, but I, I respect, you know, all sorts of spiritual beliefs, and I'm just trying to find my own through painting, which is very secular, spiritual action for me. Perhaps one more question before we wrap up, Kieran? Um, before obviously you have a lot of success from your illustration and the animation of the two and the merchandise that offsets that. Is that is is painting intrinsic to that? Is painting something that escapes from that or was painting the main goal and the other just sort of took off? The latter. <laughs> I started off um, painting if you looked at what I was doing, uh, like 25 years ago um, when I started really thinking about you know taking art kind of seriously 
Um, it would not look so much different from what's in this show. It looked quite similar. And so, um, but uh, I needed to make a living and so um, I started to do commercial illustration. And I've always liked writing and um, I still write and, you know, I'm interested in both so it's always been a bit tricky for me trying to decide what to do. But um, the illustration side of things was originally just a means of generating income so that I could continue painting um, my paintings, which I never exhibited. I just did them for myself, um, uh, almost like a diary or something, in my starting in my parents' garage originally and then to other garages <laughs> in various share houses. And um, the illustration just became very successful and I got very involved with that culture. I still am. Um, and then that led to filmmaking and, and other things. And I love the social aspect of, of that work too which is a relief from the solitude of painting, where you can go a bit loopy if you're, if you, you know, doing... Um, or at least at least anxious, if not loopy. And uh, and so now I've, um, I've started to actually get into studio space where Harley was. Um, I, I, I thought, wow, now I can do some painting again, you know, because I, I had a little bit of a um, financial buffer, and so I just started painting again and now I just sort of toggle between the two but they're, they're all the same thing there's not a huge difference I'm trying to often find ways to collapse them together mm -hmm. um, I think all of us are pulled apart by different institutions and cultural conventions like oh it's an art gallery or oh, it's publishing oh it's filmmaking but they're all the same thing and um, you got to try and Basically, all that matters is a, you know, inner truth or some original spark uh, that's about how you see things or what you want to say. It hasn't changed since you're a little kid, and um, trying to maintain that and think how can I make all these other genres and institutions work? How can I work with them to express the thing that I want to express? Excellent. Well, thank you very much. Thanks guys for your time and your thoughts and thank you all for coming this afternoon. Um, hang around, enjoy the art, have, a, have another drink and um, enjoy the afternoon. Thanks again. Thank you. Thanks. With thanks to our wonderful panel of Nick Dryden, Sean Tan and Harley Manifold for spending Saturday with us. Whisper is open until the 26th of February 2017 from Wednesday to Sunday, 11am to 4pm. Next up in the gallery is Michelle Day's sculpture exhibition, Lost Lumens, alongside work from Alex Sanson. These complex and intriguing sculptural pieces are part of White Knight Ballarat, opening the 1st of March and running through to the 2nd of April. The Lost Ones Contemporary Art Gallery is Stephen Piggott and myself, Tara Poole, ably supported by Meryn Bridie, Nikki Cately, Emily Smith and Brodie Whiteman. And for more information about our exhibition calendar or our workshops, head to our website. And finally, if you're interested in exhibiting with us, we're always keen in talking to leading artists who seek to push the boundaries in creative thought. Until next time. <laughs>